Welcome everyone to our Monday evening meditation service. Um, Thanksgiving is on our heels and I hope that all of you are looking forward to that time of rest and some recreation. It's a challenge sometimes being with family during the holidays and uh, I'll address that later. Uh, as we head towards the national holiday of Christmas and the season of Satori is upon us. So I'm going to continue tonight with our Thanksgiving theme and I wanted to talk about something that I hope you will find useful and helpful and, and, and this this teaching is about helping us to understand and realize why we're not in a place of thankfulness. Why we don't, as my one of my great root, great teachers, a root teacher of mine, uh, the great Reverend Dr. Alfred Bloom, used to say that his his main practice and the most important practice. In, all of Buddhism is the practice of gratitude. More important than any other. And so what keeps us though from this practice of gratitude? Because you know everybody knows what it feels like to be grateful, right? But it seems sometimes elusive to us. It seems like it's something that we don't you know, can, we can't easily access. <laughs> Why is that? Well, for each individual, there might be lots of psychological reasons for this, which one should explore through mindful counsel. But I can tell you this, that one of the main ways, and one of the main things that hinders the flow of gratitude is feeling that things aren't fair. If you think of gratitude like this great river, right, or this, that, that flows from this great ocean of oneness, why doesn't it fill our wells? Why don't we find ourselves constantly imbibing? Because what happens is those rivers get dammed up. And they get dammed up by saying it's not fair. It ain't fair. Now, there's no judgment here, right? And that's that's part of our teaching but what I'm calling you to is a sense of understanding why is it that we feel that life is so unfair well that that brings us to another word that I think is important for us to unpack in this regard because I think it's behind it you know if you think about you know, the thought is, it's not fair. 
which blocks the flow of gratitude and thanksgiving. What is it that is the belief? You know, and in our understanding of the interdependent nature of the mind, right, we understand that beliefs brought into experiences create thoughts, and thoughts create or cause feelings, and feelings cause actions, and actions cause consequences, and then it's why the whole wheel of samsara gets turning. What's the belief? You know, what's the belief? And the belief is, in another word, the boy does it get thrown around a lot today. If you thought the word love got thrown around a lot, I, I, I'd love to go back, <laughs> pun intended, I'd love to go back to those days where love was the word that was thrown around all the time. You know what the word is thrown around all the time now? I'll do it in my best cowboy voice. Justice. 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 That's the word that gets thrown around a lot these days. I, my heart hearkens for the days of the hippies and love. All you need is love. Bum, 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 bum. Not today. Justice. So what's the Buddha have to say about this? Well, he has a lot to say, actually. He has a lot to say. The Buddha's teaching, his way, or not really even his way. I mean, that's really important to understand when it comes to the teachings of the Buddha. He wasn't presenting his teachings. He had found the universal teachings of wisdom and compassion. And that, that's the wisdom, that's the gift that he shares. Each of us must walk our own path of wisdom and compassion. And that way, with a capital W, that Tao, that way, that's the Dharma. That's the Dharma. And what was the emphasis? What was the emphasis of Shakyamuni? The emphasis was, is that he was always emphasizing the wisdom of non-judgmental awareness that sees beyond dualistic discrimination and results in compassionate action. And the subject of justice is very interesting. If you go to the Pali Canon, which are the writings of one school of Buddhism that was very powerful, very popular, there's really no word in the Pali in those texts that can be translated as justice. Now, sometimes they have been by Western transliterators, but the fact of the matter is, there's really, there's really no term, no word in the Pali that really, really should be translated as our idea of justice, our Western popular cultural idea of justice. And I would go so far as to say that one could argue quite proficiently that the entire concept is not germane to the Buddhist teachings. Wow. <laughs> wow. Now I know today it's very popular for a lot of Buddhist teachers to 
throw black priestly Buddhist robes around non-dharma concepts and try to make them so. But it doesn't matter how you dress it up. If it ain't the dharma, it ain't the dharma. So what, what did the Buddha have to say about this? Well, first let's define our term, this word just. Okay? So, so where does that come from? Well, if we, if we look at the etymology of the word, and we go back and look at its origins, we find that the word itself is related to the concept of law. So just and law are, are intimately connected to each other. In fact, you can't talk about one without talking about the other. Now, some scholars believe that the emperor of Constantinople in the 5th century, Justinian, who was known, one of the great things, the works that he did was he took all the laws of his days and he created this singular system of judicial um, expression. And some argue that even to this day, our systems, our court systems, and or not our legislative, but our judicial system, is based on Justinian. Others would argue the, you know, the influence of the Hebrew tradition and things of that nature, and I'm not discounting that. I'm just saying that that's where we even, you know, use the term. And this term was related to the law. And the law was ultimately understood to be given by the gods. Now, whether you want to use the term plural or you want to use the term singular, doesn't makes no difference to me. But the point of the matter is, is that these, this idea of justice comes from a system theologically where there is a god or gods who deliver the law. And their messengers, their human messengers, are also called lawgivers. And it's not just, you know, we traditionally think of it in, like, Judaism, right? We think of Moses. It's not just there. It's also in like the Indian, India, Indian tradition, uh, the laws of Manu, the first man, the first human. That's where we get our word man from, which means human. So this has always been there. And, and it was handed down, and usually it was carried out by the tribal chieftain, and then eventually it was carried out by the group of elders or what have you. But there was a law and there was a system of law that you had to conform to. And if you didn't, you would be punished. And so justice is always about, am I following the law? Am I upholding the law or am I breaking the law? Breaking the law. Great song. Jews priest. So that's what it's about, man. That's what it's really about. So when we use the word justice, we got to realize we're, there's a whole, whole basket of concepts and ideas behind it. And it's this idea that somehow, if you follow the law, it'll be just. 
So what does Shakyamuni have to say about this? What does he offer instead of this? What does he what does he say? Well, part of this is, like I said, if you have these gods, and they're the creators of the universe, right? They establish the laws. You know, it's like uh, some alien somewhere creating his own little sim game, and he establishes the laws that these creatures have to live out of. And then he can, if they don't follow it, he can wipe them out. Punish them. So that's the belief. And in Buddhism and in the Dharma, there's no belief in that kind of anthropomorphic creator. And the universe isn't like something that's created by the gods. And I don't care what name you give them, the titans, whatever you want to call them. There's a beginning here where it's all started. Then there's all these journeys, usually the human dramas here. And then there's some apocalyptic end where a messianic figure will appear. And believe me, this isn't just in Christianity. This goes way back to the Indo-Europeans and probably the... The, the, the youngest expression of it, and I say young, uh, this, you know, maybe three or four thousand years old would be the religion of Zoroaster, or Zoroaster, or Zarathustra, Zoroastrian, or Zoroastrian religion, where they have the same whole thing sort of set up. And then there's this apocalyptic ending, and guess what? Those who didn't follow the law, the unjust, are punished or annihilated, and the just are rewarded. So there it is. But you see, the Dharma, does, the Buddha, we don't have that. For us, the universe is this magical expression of creative energy and cosmic cycles of birth and rebirth. So we don't, we don't need to have some anthropomorphic deity. Likewise, this, uh, the energy of the evolution that takes place in this cyclic approach is called karma. In, in karma, you have to understand, it's not personal. Now, I know that there are some Indian traditions that do that, and the Westerners who view it that way, right? Like, uh, what was that song by John Lennon? Instant karma's gonna get you. You know, so all they did was just sort of replace the God with karma. You know, and there was that TV series, right? I can't remember the name of it right off the top of my head, but it was always about him running from karma. <laughs> well, that has nothing to do with the Buddhist concept of it. For the Buddhists, for Buddha, it was just the idea that this is how we talk about evolution. That's all. And that the, the, the cause of evolution, the, 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 uh, the karma itself, it, its effects can always be ameliorated. And they're not inexorable. So in other words, they can be altered. They can be changed at any time, completely. You can change the direction of it completely. So there's no sense of fate. Buddhism, there's a sense of destiny to be fulfilled, but not some fate.
It's out to punish you because you've been unjust or reward you because you've been just. And people that have ideas of karma like that, that's fine if that works for them. But that is not the Dharma. Very important, very important difference. And because of this difference, the understanding that we have of Western notions of justice, from a Buddhist point of view, they're simply impossible to achieve. Because it would require perfection. It would require a perfect anthropomorphic God to deliver it, or deities. And it would require humans to have a perfect system to make it work. Well, gee whiz, anybody know that? Anybody familiar with that? I'm not. Does anybody think there is any legal system on the planet that is truly just? Not me. And so once we recognize that from the Dharmic point of view, you know, talking about justice, good Lord, it's impossible. It's just impossible. And if that's what we're trying to do, that's what we're always trying to do is to follow the law or worry about breaking the law or making new laws. Good God. It's exhausting. It's exhausting. And I would say that, you know, some of our contemporary or modern and even postmodern forms uh, of this rely on this concept of this perfect system. This perfect standard, you know, by which we can, you know, be enforceably conformed to. And when we believe we've been wronged, our desire for rightness is tied up with a sense of duty-bound conformity to this determinative code of behavior. That's a lot, man. That's a lot. But as I said before, the Buddha offered a way. His Dharma was based on self-reflective seeing into the wisdom of interdependence. And the thing is, you know, even our notions of, of equity, and you know, people talk today about just, 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 justice oriented uh, distribution of wealth and things of that nature. I mean, come on, do you really think that there ain't going to be somebody who doesn't think they're not getting a fair share? Really? Really? You really think that in this so-called delusional perfect system that there's not somebody that's going to be trying to get more? You might say it's human nature. I would say it's one of the tendencies of human nature to be unsatisfied, to constantly crave. Right? That's right there in the Four Noble Truths. Constant craving. Love that song. She's a Buddhist, by the way. So there's this sense that we have with this popular word that we throw around justice, 
that it really exists and that somehow everything can be made fair. Well, I got news for you, it won't be. There's nothing fair in this world. I think that was a Billy Idol song. White Wedding. There's nothing fair in this world. There's nothing just in this world. Nothing. If you think so, then I'll, I'll ask you to just come with me humbly to the children's hospital in Hershey. And we'll walk through the wards together and you tell me where your justice lies. You'll come up short. And it's okay. Because it's just a delusional belief that you have learned like so many others. So, so what do we do in its place? You know? Well, first of all, when we're always thinking that we have to manipulate things outside of us to have this sense of peace, right? Because that's what it all is about, right? If things are just, then I can be at peace, right? We're always seeking to manipulate it from the outside. And we're always blaming the outside. But the fact of the matter is, that leads to nothing but a temporary sense of peace. You know, first let me get everything in order and make it just and right, and then I can be at peace. <laughs> Good luck with that one, man. Good luck with that one. Or take another visit with me as a chaplain into the institutions we call prisons. Find your justice there. So what is the Buddha called us? What is the Dharma called us? It calls to us to find that peace within ourselves. That that horn of plenty that I mentioned a week or so ago, that that is what is within us, and that is the source of our peace. And that peace transcends all understanding. It's born of insight and understanding, but it transcends all ordinary understanding and when we cultivate our true nature our true self and we allow it to manifest freely through our ego selves well man that that creates an alchemical explosion of transmogrification that allows the ego self that is grounded in the true self to manifest the answer to suffering. The answer to suffering is not justice. The answer to suffering is compassion. That is the Buddhist answer to suffering. Compassion. Compassion born of the wisdom of oneness. Now, the Buddha was a very rational person and very practical person, you know. And the truth of the matter is, he understood that, you know, you had to have some 
sort of agreed upon system to have some stability in society. So he understood the need for, you know, contractual agreements, whether they be social or they be, you know, legal. He understood that. But he also saw that often those agreements, those contracts, betrayed a delusional belief system. And that delusional belief system is what leads people to generally having a sense that life just isn't fair. And so when we have a sense that life just isn't fair, it blocks the flow of our gratitude. But when we let go of that, when we realize that the idea of fair and just, they're delusional, and we let them go completely, I mean completely, and in their place we put the wisdom of oneness and the action of compassion. Well, when, we, when we're able to do that, then we don't just have temporal equity. We have eternal equanimity. In my last book that I wrote, The Three Principles of Oneness, I had talked about how Joseph Campbell discussed the left and the right path. The left path was the path of the person who was the rebel who challenged the system. And the right-handed path was the, the system, you know, of stability. And the thing is, is that you can't have one without the other, you know. You, you don't want legalism and you don't want anarchy. It doesn't work, you know. I, like most people, we all want the same things. We want to be happy. We don't want to experience more pain than we have to. And we want our, our loved ones to be safe and happy and fulfilled. And we want our families to be fed and cared for. Well, all those things, right? Yeah, of course we do. So we all are similar in that sense. And the thing is, is that this, this need for the left hand and right hand path are both there, you know. And ultimately, all these things, in my opinion, just go back to that dynamic with the true self and the ego self that everything we talk about in terms of, you know, as I said, the left-hand path, the right-hand path, the right hand representing the system and legal systems and all that stuff, and the left hand representing rebellion and revolution. But you need, they're dynamic, and it's a conversation. And you, you shouldn't try to get rid of either one of them, ultimately, because the truth is always lying in the middle way. And in that middle is where we most of us live. I would say all of us live. We don't always realize it. And when we understand this, that all these things are just a reflection of that, then we can allow the ego self to be transmogrified by the true self. And, and that creates a Buddha. That creates a Buddha. And so, as I've said before, the world is not here to be fixed. You won't fix it. Most of the time when we try to fix it and make things right, we just create new problems. It's just like the idea of an anthropomorphic creator God. I get it. 
But the minute you get it, it just creates more problems. It just makes more questions that can't be answered. So, as you meditate or contemplate this period, and you're looking at the meaning of Thanksgiving, break the dam. Break the dam that has been created out of the thought that life isn't fair. Tear apart the sources that say that you can make things just in this world or any other. And break that dam and allow the flow of thanksgiving. And let me tell you something, if, you, if you're living out of the flow of gratitude, out of the flow of thanksgiving, then you'll have no place in your heart to intentionally harm someone else. And you will do your best when you see suffering to offer compassionate action. It will just naturally flow, man. So in the immortal words of Bruce Lee, be water. Be the water of kindness and thanksgiving. And let it flow. Grateful.